Our great God and King, we come before you this morning to praise you, to give you glory. Great are you, Lord God. King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we stand in awe of your goodness, your mercy and your grace. Lord, we bow before you. We prostrate ourselves, God, in total humility and adoration for who you are. And so our great king, we invite you here into this place, into our hearts to have your way, to fill us afresh, God, to speak into our lives, Lord, and empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to live out lives that you've called us to, God, and that's to be holy and separate and set apart for your kingdom and for your glory. And so, Lord God, help us to hear. And let him who has ears hear what the Spirit wants to say this morning to each and every one of us. Lord, we bless you and we praise you. We give you the glory. And it's in the name that's above every name that we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning, everyone. How's everyone? And for those of you who don't know who I am, I'm not Pastor David, obviously, huh? My name is Stephen, and I'm a pastor on staff at Calvary Chapel, Lexington, and I oversee a ministry called U-Turn for Christ. It's a men's residential ministry that helps men who struggle with addiction. We point them to Jesus, and we get out the way, because Jesus can solve whatever we have, right? So we're going to be in the book of Matthew, and as always, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here to... uh, worship the Lord with you, Um, and uh, hopefully you guys had on your seats uh, the Lord's Prayer, so Pat, we're going to take a look at that toward the ends there, but it's uh, it's something that, and I've seen it and and used it uh, times in my life, but it breaks down the Lord's Prayer, and it's really neat, and it's really handy, and it helps make sense of the whole thing of, you know, the Lord's Prayer, Father, which art in heaven and not just allow it to be some rote that we do because prayer is is significant and it's essential in the life of a Christian. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. The title is How to Live as Kingdom People. And when I first gave the title, it was How to Live Like Kingdom People. But we're not like kingdom people. We are kingdom people. Amen? Amen. We live in God's kingdom, so it's not like, it's as. So hopefully we're going to see some principles this morning that are going to help us, if we implement them into our lives, live as kingdom people. The Gospel of Matthew depicts Jesus as the Messiah, King of the Jews. Not just the Jews, but he is King of Kings. And if you guys are familiar, the Gospel depicts Jesus in four different ways. Matthew talks about Jesus, presents Jesus as the coming Messiah, the king that the Jews were looking for. The gospel, according to Mark, depicts the Lord as the suffering servant. The gospel, according to Luke, he is seen as the son of man. And then the gospel, according to John, he is the son of God. And so in Matthew, what we get to see is Jesus as the king. Chapter 1 outlines Jesus' heritage and as a descendant of King David, rightful heir to the throne of Israel. Chapter 2, we see Herod's hostility towards King Jesus. And also in chapter 2, we see the wise men coming from the east going to pay homage to the king and worship him. In chapter 3, we see the harrowing of King Jesus, by John the Baptist, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In chapter 4, it shows us the king being challenged by Satan. And we remember that, right? The spirit uh, impelled, compelled uh, Jesus to go up into the wilderness. And he met Satan. And Satan challenged and tested Jesus in that wilderness. But our king met the challenge head on and was victorious. Amen? Amen. 
We got to see that. Also in chapter 4, we see the king establishing his headquarters and teaching and healing throughout Galilee. In chapters 5 through 7, which is known as the Beatitudes, we see Jesus establish his constitution for his kingdom. When Jesus went on the mountain to teach, his disciples came with him, the people that were following Jesus. And so what I mean by this idea of, of constitution is the basic principles and laws of a nation or state that determine the powers and duties of the government and guarantee certain rights to the people in the nation or state. In other words, a manifesto. Jesus was presenting his manifesto. And what we see in chapters 5 through 7 is Jesus instructing his kingdom people on how to live in this world, but recognize that the laws and the commandments of his kingdom take precedence over the laws of this world. And by the way, the king of this world, the God of this world is Satan. And so we have God's kingdom here on this earth, and we as his kingdom people need to learn how to live in that. And so we're going to see this morning how to do that. Philippians 3.20 says this, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we eagerly wait for a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. We are citizens of heaven, but we're also ambassadors of Christ. We're citizens of heaven, but we're also ambassadors. And so while we're here on this earth, we're not on vacation, family. We're not on vacation. This is not a time to, to chill and just kind of go through the motions of being a Christian. And if you haven't noticed or recognized in these last few years, it's gotten a little crazy. Amen? A little crazy. Or what they say, well, I come from a little cray-cray. That means crazy. And it has been. And it's getting worse. So what do ambassadors do? If you were an ambassador for someone, what, what does an ambassador do? An ambassador is a representative of the one who sent him. And that represented individual is the one who proclaims whatever the person sent him wants him to say. So we are representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ. We represent King Jesus on this earth, declaring his sovereign authority over all by how we listen to this. We declare his authority, not so much in preaching and telling people what to do. We declare his authority how we, how you and I live our lives. That's the greatest testimony that you and I can give is to live Jesus, to live as kingdom people here on this earth. Chapters 5 through 7 teaches us how to live in the kingdom of God while we are here on earth. And we'll see several principles to show us how to live as kingdom people while we are here. And so I'm going to read verses 1 through 4, and we'll take a look at it. Beginning in verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness, giving alms before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving will be done in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And so the first thing we see here is kingdom people do good deeds, deeds of righteousness, the word of God says. In other words, things that are right. Verse 1 again says, Beware of practicing your righteousness or giving alms before men. We are expected to do good to others. And that's what that act of righteousness means. It literally means to give alms. That means to help the poor. So that's one of the things that God expects us to do here on this earth, is to help other people. But it also says in verse one, 
beware of practicing righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who's in heaven. Verse 2, so when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your, right, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Verse 4, so that you, your giving will be in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. First thing is we're told to do good deeds. The Word of God commands us to do that. And then the, the second thing is that when we do it, we're not to be prideful. We're to be humble. We don't do it to be seen. And a lot of the Jews back in those days, when they would present alms, they would have uh, individuals following them and trumpets would be blown. And so they were doing it to be seen. And the Word of God says that we're not to do that. He says to be aware. It's a warning. And so question, when you do for the Lord, why are you doing it? Are you doing it so that others can think that you're a righteous individual, a holy individual? Are you doing it to be seen? Now, I'm sure nobody's going to come into the sanctuary and go over to the offering box and have trumpets blowing, right? Well, no, 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 just kidding. Um, but the idea is this. Is that why am I doing what I'm doing for the Lord? To feel good about myself? To have people think I'm a good person? Or is it purely to, to do it because that's what God has commanded us to do? To help others. And it says in verse, excuse me, verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 3, Sorry, verse 2. As the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. We are to give from the heart and to help individuals without considering what anyone else is doing. And so when we're giving and we're expecting people to look at us in a certain way, we want to be honored by men. Turn to, if you will, Philippians chapter 2. Our giving needs to be done as Christ has given to us. Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1, it says, Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, let my joy, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, United in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing with selfish or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Another version says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus. We are to put the needs of others as well as our own to help them. As God blesses us, we are to be a blessing to others. And so we're to have a mind as Christ blessed, blesses us and blessed us, we're to give to others, not with any intent on receiving anything back. Turn, if you would, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Verse 6 reads, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purpose in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed, as it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Look again at verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so 
that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for good, for every good deed. So what it's saying in that verse is God blesses us with an overflow, with an abundance, so that we could keep it and hoard it and not share with anyone. Is that what it says? No. What does it say? He abounds us with blessings so that we have enough to give. That's the whole purpose in that. As God blesses us, we're to bless others. And so here's the idea, very simply put. If you have a conduit that you're trying to flow something through, as long as that conduit is open, then you have a natural flow going through, right? But as soon as that conduit is stopped, that flow begins to do what? Back up. Well, God will pour into somebody if he knows that conduit is a, a vessel that he can use to pour into other people. Does that make sense? And so as God blesses, he's going to bless the one that he knows is going to be able to pass it on. So the sufficiency of God's blessing in your life is so that you can pass that blessing on to others. In the abundance of his giving, we are to give back to others. In giving, we are to think and act like Christ, willingly and selflessly with no thought for what's in it for me, what's in it for you and I. And so when we give, whether it's through giving uh, money, resources, our talents, our time, again, I ask you the question, why are you doing it? Why are you doing it? I love what I do with U-Turn for Christ. I've been doing it for almost 23 years now. I love it. And it's not something that I have to consider or think about. It's something that I enjoy doing. And I turned 69 this year, and there are many who have uh, gone into re retirement. I'm going to die with my boots on serving the Lord at the ministry of U-Turn for Christ in Calvary Chapel because I love what I do. But I don't do it to be seen. Now, don't get me wrong. It's real tempting when people, oh, that was a great, great uh, message, Pastor. And that was a great sermon, Pastor. And, you know, you, you can ask Pastor David, you know, there's this temptation to want to say, well, thank you. Mm, no, it's not me. I'm not going to accept any of God's glory. Whatever comes out of me, whatever comes out of this knucklehead, it's because of the glory of God and God using me. And so, again, everybody's called to serve the Lord in some, capa some capacity. You know, we're the hands and feet of the body of Christ. And so whatever God has called you to, do it for the glory of the Lord and not for what you can gain out of it. And this is how you know if you're doing it for that. A couple of ways I want to share with you. You ever given something to somebody? saying you gave it out of the goodness of your heart and you meant that, but then you went back to that person asking them for something, maybe not necessarily the same thing, but asking them to help in some way and they said no. How did you deal with that? Did you get mad? Did you get upset? Did you walk away saying, well, hmm, I helped you and you can't help me? Well, if that was your reaction, guess what? That wasn't from the heart, amen? If it's from the heart... If you're going to give it to someone, I'm not giving it to you expecting that sometime later I'm going to come back and ask you for something. I give it because that's what God has asked me to do. And so when we're giving to the Lord, and giving to the Lord is by helping others, if I don't get any recognition, if nobody ever comes up to me and says, man, you did a great job, or thank you for that. Or if I come and help out at the church and I don't get a phone call from the pastor telling me what great work I are you still going to come the next week? We're supposed to give to the Lord, what? Without expecting anything in return. Without expecting anything. Also, in verse 2 and verse 4, we see there are two kinds, two types of rewards for giving. There's a reward for prideful giving, which is given of the world. And it says in 2, so when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets so that they may be honored by men. That prideful giving is a reward that comes from looking for people to say good things about you. But also, 
the reward for sincere giving is eternal. It is given by the king. Please turn to, I'm sorry, we're in Matthew 6. Drop down to verses 19. Reward that is given from a sincere heart is eternal. Matthew 6, 19 reads, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The king rewards for doing good, and his rewards are eternal. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather have my rewards stored up in heaven than on this world, in this world and on this earth. And so if we're doing from a sincere heart, the reward will be from the king who rewards eternal things. And notice at the end of that passage in verse 21, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And so are you working for eternity, for kingdom things? You're not going to take it with you. Whatever you have here is going to be left behind. And so the first two things we see is kingdom people do good deeds and kingdom people are not prideful but humble. Verse 5, and I'm going to read through the whole portion of 5 through 15 and we'll come back and look at it. When you pray, verse 5 says, you are not to be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But if you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do, for they purpose that they will be heard for the many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also, for, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Verse 14, for if you give others, sorry, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, when then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And so in verse 5, going back up to verse 5, it says, when you pray, do not pray, I'm sorry, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the streets so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, their reward is full. So, third thing that a kingdom person does is he talks to, they talk to, she talks to the father, the king. They communicate. When you pray, and that's what prayer is, it's communicating with God, with the king. Prayer is essential to the kingdom person. It is our way of communicating with the king. I'm going to give you a couple of quotes from some well-known Christians concerning prayer. First one is from Corey Tinboom. Is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Is spare your steering wheel or your spare tire? That's a pretty good one. Are you allowing prayer to lead you, or do you use prayer when you have a flat and you're on the side of the road and you're crying out, God help me, God help me? To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Martin Luther. True prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is spiritual Transaction with the creator of heaven and earth, Charles Spurgeon. And then one last one from Spurgeon. If you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. 
If you believe in prayer at all, expect God to hear you. If you do not expect, you will not have. God will not hear you unless you believe he will hear you. But if you believe he will, he will be as good as your faith. So prayer is an essential in all of our lives as kingdom people. Prayer is not a necessity. It's an option. It's not a necessity. I'm sorry, it's not. It's an option. But it's not, I'm sorry, it is a necessity, but not an option. It is an obligation. I don't have to do it. I get to do it. It's not an obligation. We're not obligated to communicate with the king. But it's a privilege, amen? Almighty God, creator God, creator of heaven and earth, allows for you and I to spend time in communicating with him and speaking to him. And let us remember what prayer is. Prayer is not a laundry list of God, I need, I need, I need. God, would you, could you? Uh, no. Prayer is allowing God's will to conform our will. That's the whole point and purpose in prayer. And Pastor Chuck Smith, I heard him say this many, many years ago, is that sometimes when he would pray to God, he would just be quiet because God had more important things to tell him than what he had to tell God, amen? So prayer is a two-way street. But more often than not, that two-way street needs to be a one-way street where I'm being quiet listening to God and asking God to show me, tell me what he wants me to know. So prayer is essential. It is absolutely a necessity. Verse 5 also talks about kingdom people not being hypocrites. Go back up to 5, it says, when you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Kingdom people ought to be genuine. We're not to be fakes. We're not to be hypocrites. Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, reads, And this I pray, discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be, here it is, sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Kingdom people are real and genuine. Kingdom people are the real deal. The real deal. And it's needful in the the age that we're living in now. With so many people who name the name of Christ and not living as those who are called to be living in the kingdom of God. So, are you the real deal? I've asked this question before. I think I asked it the last time I was here. If somebody followed you around, you didn't know it, just observed your life. They had heard that you had professed to be a Christian. They just followed you, just watched your movement, how you lived your life. And then one day you got arrested. And the government called this individual in that was following you around as a witness to testify against you. Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Because a lot of times we want to tell people about our Christianity, Amen. But we need to show them. Bible says that we are living epistles read by all men. If someone is reading your life, are they reading the individual who is living by kingdom standards and not being a hypocrite, an actor, a fake, a phony, a fraud? Verse 6 says, but, when, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Drop down to verse 9. Pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Another principle for the kingdom person is kingdom people have an intimate relationship with the king. Again, looking at verse 6 and verse 9, it says, pray to who? Pray to your Father. Pray to your father. Kingdom people have an intimate relationship with the king. He is their 
Father. An intimate relationship is what the king desires with all who are a part of his kingdom. It's the kind of relationship the Bible says Moses had. The Bible says that Moses would meet the Lord face to face in Exodus chapter 33. And that face to face phrase speaks of an intimate relationship that Moses had with God. Moses would go into the tent of meetings, and the Bible says, then a cloud would come down over the tent, right? And that cloud represented what? The presence of God. And during that time, Moses would speak to, and God would speak to Moses. It was that intimate relationship that only Moses had. But you and I can have that same intimacy because the veil was torn the day that Jesus was hung on the cross, remember? When he was hung, what happened? From top to bottom, the veil was torn. And that veil separated the holy from the holiest of holies, where the priest would only go in once a year on the Day of Atonement to sprinkle blood on the Ark of the Covenant. And on that Ark of the Covenant is where the presence of God would be. And so you and I can have that same face-to-face intimacy. We can call God our fathers, but we can also have that face-to-face intimacy. Hebrews chapter 4 says that we can draw near to the throne of grace in a time of need with confidence. We can draw near to God. And we can have that intimate relationship with our Abba, with our Father. If we choose to go into our secret place, that is, in the private place, and draw near to him, he will draw near to us. Spending time alone with the king, even as Moses did, having that intimacy that the Lord so desires. So, question. Are you taking time to do that? Well, Pastor, it's been kind of busy the last few weeks, and I got this going on, and I got that going on, and I get it. Life is in session, amen? Life don't stop just because we're Christians. Life does not slice out time for us to spend time with God. But if we're not careful, life will do what? It'll steal it all, and we won't have anything. And we have to purpose to spend time with the Father. So, are you doing that? Is there a time that you meet with God on a daily basis? That intimate time where you go into your secret place where you have your cup of coffee or your cup of tea and you spend time in that intimate relationship with the Lord. And here is the way cool thing about that. He wants that time. He wants that time. And so we should be, to the best of our ability, on a regular basis, on a daily basis, making sure that we have that time for him. Going on in verse 7, it says, And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for the many words. Verse 8, So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. And it says, do not use meaningless repetitions as the Gentiles do. So kingdom people are to be different. Gentiles, heathens, we're not to be like them. We're to be different. We're to be set apart. We're not to be like this world. Don't be like the Gentile, the heathen. Our lives are to be marked by our love for Jesus and his kingdom and not the kingdom of this world and what it has to offer. Your father knows what you need before you ask. And so the question is, if God knows what I need before I ask, why should I ask? Why am I supposed to pray? I believe it is important to pray even if the father already knows because it shows our dependency and trust in him. It's like a dad who has children. And the children know that the father is generous and will do whatever the, the, uh, he can to, to help and bless them. But dads, come on now, isn't it a blessing when, when your kids come up to you and ask you to help them out? 
Say, Dad, can I need this? And even though you already know that you're going to do that, to hear them say that does something to your heart. And so the Father in heaven is the same way. He already knows what he's going to do. He wants us to come, though, because that shows that we depend on him and that we trust him. Amen? And so kingdom people are to be different. We're to be set apart from this world. We're not to be like the Gentiles. Verse 9 says, Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Principle 7 says this, Kingdom people recognize that the king is holy. Hallowed is your name. Holy is your name. We recognize that the Bible teaches that God is a holy God. And what does that mean? We say it all the time. Oh, God is holy. What does it mean? How are we to understand the word holy? There are a number of important things which we must understand. Holiness defined. God is unique from all beings and separated from all sin. The idea behind the concept of holiness is separation. It comes from a word meaning to separate or to cut off. There are two aspects to God's holiness. First, God is separate, different from all other beings. God is not like, unlike anything else. He is different. He is unique, one of a kind. He is he has no like or equal. There is none like the Lord. There is no equal. Second, God is separate, caught off from everything that is sinful and evil. Indeed, he cannot tolerate sin. The Apostle John illustrated this truth in figurative language in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, and this is the New Living translation, it reads this. This is the message he has given us to announce to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. And so this idea of, of holiness is God not only is just separated from the world, but he transcends the world. And it's amazing that a holy God would send his son to come live amongst us. God is separate. He is holy. He is holy. It says, hallow be your name. A requirement that the king required both in the Old and New Testament is for his people to be holy. God is holy. Therein we need to be holy. If you would, turn to Leviticus chapter 19. God declares that he is holy. You know what, kingdom people? We're to be holy too. As God's people living in his kingdom, we're to be set apart from this world. Leviticus 19, verse 1 says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And then flip over to 1 Peter. So in the Old Testament, God was commanding his people to be holy, and in the New Covenant, he is doing the same thing. First Peter chapter 1, verse 14 reads, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which, which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Because it is written, and this is Peter quoting Leviticus, You shall be holy, for I am holy. He says to be holy in all of your behavior. So as kingdom people, we're to be holy, separated from this world. And again, that is something that has to be intentional. It has to be. As kingdom people, we don't walk through this world kind of meandering. You'll never make it. We'll never make it. We have to be intentional as God's people. To recognize, first of all, what God has called us to, and to recognize that God is separated unto that. And so question, is there some things in your lives that you need to take a look at that are rivaling what people in the world are doing? The Bible says that we were walking in darkness, but God 
sent his son to rescue us, translate us out of the kingdom of darkness into his marvelous light. Amen? The kingdom of God is a kingdom of light. And so let us scrutinize it. Are there some things, is there anything in my life that I need to be turning over, asking God to forgive me, repent of, and let go of? We're to be separate. We're to be holy as the king is holy. And then going on in verse 12, it says, And forgive our debts also as we have forgiven our debtors. For if we forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. So another principle for the kingdom individual is kingdom people forgive because we are forgiven people. Amen? We forgive. We forgive. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would. Ephesians 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Forgive. Forgive. Forgive each other even as Christ has forgiven us. And how has God forgiven you? The Bible says in Psalms that our sins are forgiven as far as what? East from the what? I've heard that explained many ways, but I kind of like this one. If you get on an interstate and you're going west, at what point in time do you start going east? You don't. You keep going what? West. So the idea is my sins are separated from me as far as infinity. But I like this one too. How far did, did God remove my sins from me? This far. This far. Because that's the only way it could have been done, amen? On the cross. He laid it down so that you and I might live again in him. And so kingdom people forgive because we are a forgiven people. But notice that the only point the Lord emphasizes in this prayer is the necessity for forgiving one another. Forgiveness with God depends on forgiveness among members of the family of God. This is forgiveness that affects fellowship within the family. This is not forgiveness for salvation. And I got that from the New American Standard uh, Bible, Study Bible. So this idea of, of God won't forgive us if we don't forgive is not about salvation. It's about the interaction that you and I have as members of the family of God. So kingdom people are a forgiven people, but we also are a forgiving people. And then finally, go back up to verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Kingdom people are people who want to see God's kingdom come here on earth. Man, it's crazy. I saw in the news a couple of days ago, a young person was at, I don't know if it was a school or somewhere, he's out in, in the public speaking on a megaphone, reading the Bible. Protesters showed up. One was banging a loud, I think a, a, a metal trash can lid right in front of him, and another one was playing a loud siren while he was doing that. And then somebody snatched his Bible out of his hand and started tearing the pages out of the Bible and started chewing the pages. Now, if that had been a conservative or a Christian doing that to someone who was espousing their own belief, radical as it may be, that would have been a problem. But, but that's what you and I are living in today. That's what we are up against. 
And so in order for that to change, man, God, your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Because the kingdom that we're, we're in here on earth, that we're living through, is a kingdom of craziness and darkness. And we want to see the kingdom of God coming. So if you are a kingdom person, be praying that. Be praying over the, the leadership of this country. I know it's crazy, and it gets me frustrated, and I have to put the news down sometimes because I want to put my foot through the TV like I'm the only one that want to do that. But maybe some of you guys don't watch the news. But with all of the, the uh, things that are going on, and, and it's all uh, written in the Scriptures, we're in the last days. And the Word of God says that lawlessness will increase. We're in the last days. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Kingdom people want to see God's purposes, his will be done, and his kingdom advance. They want heaven here on earth. So how can we help in the advancement of God's kingdom? If we want to see God's kingdom, if we want to see God's kingdom come, how can we do that? Turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. I mean, I think that there are many ways, but I think this is probably, at least for me, probably the most crucial. If we want to see the advancement of God's kingdom and his will be done on this earth. Matthew 28, 18 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I believe the most important way we can help in advancing God's kingdom is to make disciples. Make family members, if you will, for the kingdom of God. To go out and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, our Lord, Savior, and King. To tell people of his kingdom that is a never-ending kingdom. Amen? And that he's coming back to reign and rule. And that day is fast approaching. So let's, let us be about our Father's business. And then finally, one final thought. Beginning at the beginning of the Beatitudes in chapter 5 all the way to the end of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. God is asking us to live as kingdom people in a hostile world, right? Everybody would agree with that. It's tough being a Christian today, right? It's tough on the job. People make fun of you if you're a young person. And my son and I were talking about the guy that he rides with and how uh, this individual who's not a Christian, his conversation is worldly and how it's a challenge for my son to, you know, deal with that. But he, you know, he shoots back at him straight about what the Lord wants him to do and how he wants him to live his life. But it's a challenge. It's a challenge. Absolutely. And all of that. Blessed are you who are persecuted. What? Say what? What you talking about, Willis? Is, is a blessing for people to kick me, spit on me, talk crazy about me? Yeah, it is. But the only way that we're going to realize that it's a blessing is how? The only way we're going to live a kingdom life here on this earth is by one way and one way only. Anybody know? It's only one way. By the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit. If you don't try to live this world, in this world, with the help of God, Holy Spirit, you will flat fall on your face. Amen? There's no way, because I'm sorry, I can't get hit in the cheek and turn the other one. I just don't do that. <laughs> that just ain't happening. No, you're not going to talk crazy to me, call me all kind of names, and I'm just going to be okay with it. However, if I'm in the spirit, I'm able to accomplish what the Lord wants me to do, and I'm able to live as a kingdom person here on earth. Amen? And so I'm going to pray over all of us, because I need it too, that God would empower us by the Holy Spirit to live a life 
that shows that we are not of this world. We are kingdom people living for God, living in his kingdom. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, and we bless you, God, and we give you glory. And Father, we ask, Lord, that you would bless us, that you would be with us, that you would keep us. God, pour out your spirit and fill us, Lord, and help us to remember, Lord, help us to be mindful, Lord God, that in our own strength, Lord God, we are weak. But Lord, you've given us that resurrecting power in the person of God, Holy Spirit, to walk, Lord, to do battle in a hostile environment and world. And so, Father, be with us, Lord, we pray. We thank you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. One final thing. The Lord's Prayer, it's a pattern for showing us how to pray. And I'll go through it real quick. Your Father, which is heaven, it talks about God being our Father, His name being holy, and the benefits that we get from God's name. His kingdom come, His will be done is number three. It talks about our daily bread, the things that we desire from God. It talks about forgiveness. And five, and it also asks God not to lead us into temptation, number six, and then again, thine be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever, amen, and amen. So use this, it's good. It'll take you some time to go through it, but it's a great way to spend a good half an hour or so praying to and getting that intimacy with the Lord, amen. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Yeah.